0: Hey, guys, you're listening to The Furrow, a podcast for Catholic men by Catholic men. On today's show, we talk about the effects of pornography on the culture and how to redeem our vision. Hey, everyone, welcome to season two of The Furrow podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Duncan, along with my co host, Cameron Davis. Cameron, how's it going, brother?
1: Man, it has been a crazy couple of months since we last spoke, let me tell you. Um, in the span of <laughs> yeah. since we last recorded in October, I uh, bought a minivan, had a third child, started <laughs> a new job, and here I am in 2018 ready to t- start rolling. And you got a baby in your lap right now? No. Uh, no. Luckily, my wife has uh, graciously allowed me to have the bedroom so I can record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, thanks. We'll give thanks to Marley for that uh, For uh, for today, so um, yeah, everything's going well on uh, on our end over here, and uh, we're uh, we're praying for a a great year. Um, You know, twenty seventeen was good. We're praying for a a better year in twenty eighteen. So, but yeah, so now you know, I know it's been uh, like you said, it's been a few months since we wrapped up season one, and uh, we're definitely very glad to get back in the saddle for a new and exciting year. Uh, And so this year, um, in order to improve the format of the show. Uh, Cameron and I are inviting uh, some special guest speakers to discuss some of the more relevant topics in the church, the culture, and the family. And so we wanted to kick off the new season with a very special guest, and so happens to be our very first guest, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting about six years ago in San Antonio, and uh, who has become a dear friend of mine, uh, even at a distance. Uh, his name is Mr. Steve Picorni. Steve, uh, how's it going?
2: Wonderful! I'm doing very well, and uh, gentlemen, thank you for having me uh, today. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Awesome, awesome! We're we're so happy to have you, Steve. And Steve, would you uh, would you mind opening up uh, this uh, this episode in prayer for us, please?
2: Awesome, let's do it. In the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Father, we come together to you on this day in praise and gratitude for all that you've given to us for creating us um, as men, as women, as ones who are called to love. We actually may bless us with your peace, with your grace, um, as we enter into learning how to live the fullness of the life that you give to us. May you redeem our mind, our heart, our vision, so we may see as you see, to love as you love. May we turn everything over to your divine will and surrender to that love. Mother Mary, we turn ourselves over to you, you who are the fullness of womanhood. May you reveal the fullness of love, who is your Son, Jesus Christ. As we pray, hail Mary, full of grace. Grace. The Lord is with with thee. Blessed art thou among women, thou and, and blessed, blessed is the fruit, fruit of thy, thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of, of God, God. Pray, for us pray for us sinners, now and now at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. All you angels and saints, pray for, pray, us. For us. pray for us. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 Thanks a lot, Steve. I really appreciate that. Um, so before we get started, now I wanted to take just a minute to give our listeners a little bit of background on who you are Steve and why we've invited you on the show today um so just a, a little bit of background on Steve so Steve he's a he is a highly sought after dynamic catholic speaker uh who over 13 years uh, has been sharing his very unique style of delivery uh that captivates all ages especially with his witty yet sincere personality which i can certainly attest to and i think a lot of you listeners out there will um when uh, when we get going uh, but steve holds a uh, masters in theology from franciscan university along with a specialization in catechetics uh, he also has a masters in sacred theology in marriage and family studies from the john paul ii institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, now, in 2001, Steve graduated from John Carroll University with a bachelor's in philosophy, and he even spent three years in discernment uh, for the priesthood at Borromeo Seminary and St. Mary's Seminary in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, however, we will soon learn that uh, the Lord had other plans for Steve because he is married to his lovely wife, Valerie, and they have two beautiful children here on earth and one in heaven. Um, in 2004, uh, Steve was the founder and director of uh, TOB Ministries, or how, how would you say it, Steve, Tob. I call it TOB Ministries, Tobbe, Tobbe. based on theology of the body. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and so that ministry eventually evolved into uh, what we know it's today as Freedom Coaching in 2011. Uh, now, Steve mentors clients, both men and women, Catholics and non-Catholics alike, um, one-on-one in order to break free permanently from a compulsion to pornography. Um, and so from 2009 through 2013, Steve also served as the associate director in San Antonio's Archdiocesan Offices of Marriage, Family Life and NFP. And from 2014 to 2015, he was the director for Covenant of Love, the Alexander House Program for Strengthening Marriages at the parish level. So in other words, Steve is an overachiever.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, can i take really a did. minute just to pick my jaw up off the floor because i yeah. completely feel inadequate in this conversation right now
0: yeah so we're gonna go ahead and sign off now um
2: I have, no. uh, I have much to learn brothers that's why i'm married so uh listen there's a lot on paper here but if you want to get my wife here and give her the, uh, the other half then now uh, we yeah. can do that too we'll I'll, do that uh, another I'll episode i'll be uh, cowering in the bedroom
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so and so lastly um which is one of the reasons why we invited him on the show. He is the author of the recently published, uh, since I think, what, December 1st, um, mm-hmm. um, of the new book called Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture. And so, like I said, this is why we have Steve with us today to talk about the dangers and effects of pornography use in our culture today. And so, um, if uh, just I'll get a little disclaimer here, but if you have any little ones around, uh, we strongly encourage that you hold off from listening to this episode until you can do so privately. So that's my little two cents um, disclaimer there. So again, Steve, it's so nice to have you with us today. And, uh, and thanks for being with us. Um, um, thank you. Um, so I really want to get into, I really want to dive into this book because this, I mean, I, I just started reading it. So I'm like right in the beginning phases of it, but, um, I have to say you have done an incredible job putting this together and, In a way, I have to say, um, I'm already thinking of it as kind of a Theology of the Body 2.0 for the new evangelization. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, as you're going to get into, you know, we are living in a culture now where pornography has literally pervaded every aspect of our lives and is an addiction that shows no partiality. Um, And so I think um, where, you know, Pope John Paul II Uh, offered us insights to the goodness, truth, and beauty of our bodies and sexuality. I think in this book, um, what I'm seeing now is you're really helping those who suffer from this addiction, or as you call it, a compulsion, uh, to reclaim that goodness, truth, and beauty uh, of our bodies. Uh, And so before we go too deep into that, Steve, I I wanted to see if maybe you could um, share your story with us and kind of what has brought you to this point in
2: your life and to ultimately writing this book. Sure. So, and, and thank you very much for, for that, uh, very kind introduction, uh, and, and, uh, before I get into my story very briefly, again, the book is called Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture. It's a 14-year uh, project, shall we say, wow. um, and if you throw in the other years in which uh, I was involved with uh, having an attraction and a compulsion to pornography, uh, it's even further than that. Um, my wife calls this the, uh, the hardest delivery ever uh, because mm. she was the final <laughs> editor on the book, so um, and she's, uh, she's uh, very fastidious in making sure all the eyes are crossed and the T's are dotted uh, shall we say um, or vice versa on that but um the the book really is a culmination of um, an impetus of God's grace um, I'm a, I like to say that I'm a, a product of, a product of grace a gift um, and I come from a, a home as I like to say in, in my story to people as I, I proclaim it I had a mom dad brother I didn't have a dog I have a dog now the dog's stupid so all's right with the world <laughs> Um <laughs> Yes, I will publicly proclaim that. Um, well, but when I was, uh, when I was five, um, all that changed. My dad came from the, the mentality of wanting to get rich quick. And, and I think some, some men out there uh, can kind of re- relate to that because there's the, the notion, you know, if I didn't have to work so hard and I can just make the big bucks, then I can take care of my family or go live a life with ease. And my dad kind of got trapped into that. And um, so he found a, some sort of business deal. And he wanted a our house in the stock market. My mom said, no. My dad said, I'm going to do it anyway. And he ended up um, uh, in a place of great despair. And so he went into the, he thought the only, the best way to take care of his family was by killing himself. And so he went into the garage, he closed the garage door, uh, turned on the car engine. And uh, 30 minutes later, when my mom pulled him out of the garage, um, his short-term memory was gone. That part of his memory was gone. Mm-hmm. And so he was moved to a, uh, a nursing home. And so I'm five years old at the time. And, uh, and so I grew up from that point pretty much without a father. And um, my dad also had done that because he was a vet, uh, vet in, in Vietnam and thought that this would be the way he provides for our family because he thought, you know, at least the government will take care of us. And uh, fast forward to uh, many, many years later, uh, they did some research on the deal, and the deal never went through. So everything he went through was for naught. And so I I use that as a a jumping off point where, you know, even in the darkest moments when we think there is no hope, um, we need to hold on to that. But for myself, um, it became a, a brutal a brutal internal struggle. I ended up, I hated myself. I I had the the notion that, you know, like father, like son, I should just kill myself. Life would be better off without me on this planet um, because uh, I didn't have direction. I didn't know where I was going. And then fast forward to when I was a senior in high school, uh, the doctors discovered that my dad was had developed uh, brain and lung cancer and he didn't have a lot of time. And so um, he got moved to a a hospice, and this is in Cleveland, Ohio. We're uh, on the shores of Lake Erie, and I went in by myself with him. I closed the door to his room, and I sat down, and I was just real with him. And I said, "Dad, you left me. You walked out on mom. You weren't there for Brian. You abandoned me. You weren't there for us." Hmm. And for a brief moment, uh, his eyes cleared up, and for much of my life, you know, speech was slurred but I could understand him and he said, I know. And that was his way of saying, I'm sorry. And so the first time ever in my life, I began forgiving my father. And then um, three weeks later, less than three feet away, I lost my father for a second time. Now to understand the, the next part of the, the story, you gotta go back to seventh grade. It's an infamous year in which I get busted for, for shoplifting. And uh, if my grandparents hadn't bailed me out of that, um, this would be a different story. But it was also the year in which I got exposed to pornography. And this is before the internet. I think us gentlemen can remember those days. Some some of those who are listening to this podcast are like, I don't know, no idea what you're talking about. Because uh, the internet's everywhere. It was not going away. Um, we will be with the internet probably until the day we die, unless we are hit with like an EMP or something like that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So God forbid. And um, the internet's a great good, but it also has caused a lot of problems, wreaking a lot of havoc in in the world. So we have to, there's a careful balance there that we have to walk. We have to acknowledge that technology is a good, as the church teaches, but we've got to use use it as a good. Just like, you know, a knife is a good thing, and we can use that either for cutting up meat or for stabbing someone, and I recommend option A. So <laughs> within, within that whole perspective, um, I I was exposed when I was in seventh grade, A friend of mine shared it with me um, because his parents had pornography at lots and lots of images and videos and magazines. And uh, this became a norm and we shared it. And I eventually would get caught actually by my mom's boyfriend. Uh, We brought a video to our house and, um, i was I was captivated obviously by this because there's something alluring there's something beautiful in pornography okay because the devil takes the evil one takes what's good, true, and beautiful, and unifying and twists it right as mm-hmm. as traditional Catholic theology says right and there was something there that's alluring, but also in the on the side point, there was something very ugly that was going on inside of me the shame this guilt that was weighing up there' was something that I didn't know what to do with and i and again, I had no healthy sexual Formation. There was a second formation of what it means to be a man. How do I live out this great gift of my sexuality in a way that is life giving and joyful, joyful? So this became a secret. Even though my mom actually caught me once uh, with one of those videos um, from from my friend or my apparent friend. Um, and so fast forward to high school. Uh, you know, the internet does hit start getting more and more deeper and deeper into this. Soon it becomes a compulsion. And, uh, and Brandon and Cameron will get into that term compulsion. So you can just make a note of that. But it yeah, became yeah. something I could not say goodbye to. And, I, and I, I just felt trapped by this. And we are called to live out our bodies and sexuality is a gift. And if we don't do that and, and live it in an inverted way long enough, our, our emotions are going to take a hit. My emotions had taken such a hit because it was this brutal Uh, I like to say this vicious cycle where I would get tempted. I would look at pornography. I'd masturbate, feel guilty. And and because I I grew up Catholic, I knew that lust is a sin. uh, And I would go to confession, feel free for a while. But because for whatever reason, not being given the tools how to actually break this permanently, that light, that distracting light would draw me right back in relatively quickly. And so this vicious cycle, and I felt no way out of it. The way I like to describe it is like a woman who 30 years after having an abortion, who thirty, uh, who every week going to confession, hearing that she's forgiven, but could not forgive herself. Hmm. Um, I That was me. I thought this is my cross. I will have this the rest of my life. I will never be free. And hmm. I felt hopeless. And my emotions also, because there was so much guilt and shame, ended up actually shutting down. I became a period of numbness over. I, I think it was a period of about two years. The sun shining, I'm having a fabulous day, right? Or I should be. I feel nothing, and I think it's a co- it's a it's a coping mechanism and also a protection because if I were to feel the full weight of what I what I'd gone through and what I, what I was putting myself under, um, I think I, it would be too much to take. So perhaps there was a grace that was given to me. So it's kind of flatlining my emotions, a very very tough way to be, and so going into seminary through seminary, a compulsion here. Uh, and this was widespread. Okay. At seminary, um, like nobody was talking about it. Our formation was not dealing with a healthy sexual formation. The theology of the body, even though it had come out in, in early in 79 to 84 was not even discussed, was, was virtually unknown. And so the best we could hope for was, was coping mechanisms. And so going into that, going to, I, and, and, Going into, after one hard year of of, um, of teaching, uh, I found myself at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Some of our listeners may be aware of, of, of this. And on the, um, on the first Saturday of every month, when school's in session, they've got something called a Festival of Praise, or FOPs, as they're... Uh, Uh, acquaintantly called there. (laughs) And if I can say that. And so 1,500 to 2,000 people praising God. So this very powerful music, uh, praise and worship, which our Protestant brothers and sisters um, have a great handle on. And finally, we as as Catholics are kind of catching up, shall we say, in many, many quarters. And uh, there was a phrase that was spoken that night from Isaiah 43, 19 that said, Behold, I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it? Streams of living water are beginning to to flow. And I like to use the analogy that the world we're living in is a septic tank. We are drinking from the dregs of raw sewage. And if we think about it, we have a great desire to have this quench fulfilled. And if all we see or all we think or all we perceive is a septic tank, well, there's two options then on the table. One is dehydrate and die that way or drink from the septic tank. And if you look at the two two options there, which is more attractive? Well, drinking something. Yeah, I might throw up, right? But, mm-hmm. so I had, I had been drinking from this for so long, and what I was looking for was fresh water. It was water that could quench my thirst. And what that was, as we take from scripture and tradition, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living water that we are called to not just drink from, we are called to dive in with everything that we are. And so I began giving God a crack in this this little stream of, of, of water, fresh water, it was beginning to quench my heart. And consequently, around this time, I began also going to daily mass, receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, love liquefied, as I like to say, or uh, Father, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. I'll think of it in a little bit after we're off the air. Um, And just this movement of what Jesus had done for my life, this movement to gratitude. And as we'll see, gratitude is a key aspect to helping to heal the heart, heal our minds and open ourselves up to something better. And so I was moved to gratitude for what Christ had done for me, going to daily mass. And on a particular Wednesday, about two weeks later, receiving the Eucharist, moved to gratitude. I'm praying after mass. And then I realized it wasn't just Jesus that was doing this. It was the father. It was the one who I thought had abandoned me, had walked out on me, had left me alone to die. But instead, no, he had always been there. Like that, the poem, the, the Footprints, where I only have right, seen, right. seen one set of footprints. He had been carrying me this whole time. And all he wanted me to do was climb up into his lap and be held And we as guys, especially, we find that very difficult because that intimacy means we got to take our walls down. We got to take our masks off. We got to go and kind of reveal ourselves. And and this also flips over to the ladies' side because, you know, the lack of fatherhood, the lack of true, genuine masculinity, men being genuine men after the heart of Christ is very much absent. And so I had been afraid of this my whole life, fearful. Living in fear, and in that moment I didn't have to be afraid. And all I had to do was let him love me. And I heard for the first time in my life those most important words. You, Stephen, are my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. Pleased with what I've done with what all, all of my running? And in fact, yes, he was very pleased. And his tears are coming down my cheeks. It happened. Boom, 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 boom. These chains hit the floor. I experienced a tangible transformation of my desire to lust, this desire to want to use my sisters that I'd done so long watching videos with girlfriends with, you know, just out and about this desire to want to use them was transformed into desire to want to serve them to lay down my life. And it was real and it was tangible. And for those who think this is not possible, it is very possible. Now, you might think, okay, that's the end of the story. Great. Well, actually, it worked. It was good for about uh, two to three months. Let's say three months here. Okay, there literally was internal freedom. I didn't desire anything. I had no. Uh, there was no filter on my computer. Nothing hiding it. But you know, like Peter who took his eyes off Jesus, I sadly sank back into the septic tank. Why? Because the reason why pornography is so darn powerful is because we're dealing with chemicals in the brain that are stirred up, stirred up, and if we don't deal with those and how to actually get them healed. There will not be genuine freedom. All we can hope for are coping mechanisms. And again, we'll, we'll dive into that. And so um, through that, I, I began asking, God, does this invalidate my story? Do, was I imagining what happened? No, it was very real. And what he needed to do was get to the root. He needed to go and pull the roots out of the heart. Because if we have been living in trauma and having been traumatized, there's healing that has to come from that. And pornography, you use... Make no bones about it. It is a traumatic experience because it is stunting our sexual identity growth and how we use this great gift of our sexuality so steve
0: let me let me stop you there too because i mean i I, you're 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 definitely on on a roll here man but i wanted to ask you um in in regards to that and 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 talking about the science of it you know as somebody who um you know even at an early age myself um was uh, i I was exposed to pornography and i know in your book you have a quote from uh shelly lubin um who is actually a former porn star and and now is an anti-porn activist where she says now now the largest group viewing online pornography is ages 12 to 17, but I was eight years old when that happened. Um, and so, so yeah, can, I mean, can you uh, elaborate a little bit more, I mean, without kind of going off too much, but the the effects of that on, on a young mind, especially a, a mind that is being formed still at such a young age?
2: Sure, and and I would even go more precisely to say the average age of exposure is between eight to eleven years of age. Okay, wow. most common, most prevalent group is twelve to seventeen years of age. Okay, about nineteen percent, excuse me, ninety percent of those in that age group is, have at least been exposed to pornography. But obviously, we've I've seen people involved as as young as six or five years of age. Wow. Okay? Um, So it's very, very prevalent. And so what is this doing? And and if you look at a lot of the neuroscience, okay, there's a neural, a couple terms for us to talk about. One is neuroplasticity, okay? The brain has a certain way to bring things in and form our brains, okay? And all of the different, um, those little wrinkles, if we look at a brain scan, those are neural pathways, Okay. So either those can be formed in a healthy way or they can be formed in a not healthy way. Nobody has a perfectly formed brain in a certain sense. Okay. Some people, you know, and and I'm not talking about brain damage necessarily, but in a certain sense, it's not too much of a stretch to say that pornography causes brain damage. Okay. Maybe not a physical way that is, you know, like you've seen a brain in, in a physical malady of a, a section of the brain hurt. But there is evidence of changing neural pathways different from those who do not have what's called a compulsion of pornography. And so these these neural pathways form us so that we are attracted more and more. And so when you mix in the brain chemicals on this, such as dopamine, norepinephrine, estrogen for women especially, and obviously men, we have a little bit of estrogen, testosterone is a big deal, vasopressin, and others, these things create a chemical cocktail in the brain. And, and one of the highest charged emotional experiences we can encounter, to be frank, is that of an orgasm, okay, mm-hmm. where all of those, those, those chemicals are stirred up to such a high, high degree, but it's because of the multitude of Im- images that we're seeing. The body is programmed to think that we need more and more and more. So we, you can have all the language you want to talk about all the coping mechanisms you want, that you shouldn't do this or put the computer in a public place or, you know, get an accountability a partner or a confessor, work with them consistently, that if those are just coping mechanisms, but your limbic system, which is your more emotional world is, is you've been programmed this as a survival mechanism, well, if you pick pure reason versus pure emotion, which is going to win?
0: Likely the emotion.
2: Absolutely. Every, every single time. Yeah, so you have right. this notion of these, we've been programmed this way. This is the way we are designed now, or this is not designed, but the way we've been programmed, this is how we perceive the world. So the way in which we interpret situations, the way in which we view other people is through the lens of a pornified world where we view people Merely as objects or what their sexual availability is and their and the sexual desire that they might give to me. And the flip side is, the, is, is true on the other side. If a person doesn't give me any sexual satisfaction or perceived sexual satisfaction, then guess what? I have the right to disregard them. Is this mm-hmm. not a, what is it, the root of the abortion industry? which views women nearly as objects because I, I, I used her in, in, in a momentary moment of lust. And instead of accepting what is the truth and beauty of that act and make the right choice, I'd want to disregard to the most fundamental, most innocent human being on the planet. And that's just one outcome here. The other outcome, one, another brain term to talk about would be that of mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are where when we watch something, we, want, we, have, a, we have a desire to want to integrate that to, into ourselves, but also to act it out. So this is where you have the the false notion is, you know, what I'm doing in my private time doesn't affect anyone else. Well, the the evidence uh, scientifically speaks very highly against that because what we're watching, you know, especially with the dopamine receptors, okay, dopamine itself is that pleasure chemical in the brain, and it's very exciting. We want more and more of it. But the more and more we stimulate that, okay, there are called receptors, and those receptors shrink, And in order to get them to kind of grow some more, you have to have more and more and more. So what excited a person first off in the beginning ceases to do so. So they need to seek out harder and harder material. Easy example would be, you know, when when before the internet hit, where would we go get pornography? We would go off to 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 the supermarket or whatever. I never, for by the grace of God, never did that. But people would have to do. It, it was a, it was a public way to do it. There was some public shaming involved. Now this is very private, and it's not simply the images of just a centerfold, for instance, where you have a partially naked woman there. Now you have actions are involved there between men and women, but also between women and women, men and men, multiple people here, and usually. It is actions of violence against women. It's very misogynistic. Okay, This is where the quote-unquote liberal crowd um, should be up in arms against pornography because if we really do care about women, then we've got to take a stand against something that is dominating them in these images, in these videos. So what happens with these neural, uh, mirror neurons is a person with the shrinking of their dopamine needs more and more and more. Now they want to take their private viewing out into the into the real world. And many times they can't tell the difference. So they bring this into their bedrooms. This is why pornography is one of the highest contributing factors, if not the highest contributing factors to divorces. This is where so much you're seeing with celebrities, right? The Harvey Weinsteins, the world, the Kevin Spacey's, all this coming on has roots in pornography. And then you have, you have the whole sex trade industry. What is fueling that? Well, people don't just grow up wanting to molest little children. No, it's because we've been programmed by this. So if anybody thinks that pornography is not a big deal, if not the big, the biggest deal influencing so many of the social ills in our world, and especially within the Catholic church, then we've got to have a wake up call. And that's especially, I, I hit very hard on the neuroscience and also how this, we can see this whole thing from a bird's eye view in chapters two and three of my book.
1: Well, wow. I think really one of the important things that you mentioned there that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is that it is, in fact, and you've mentioned it here, the compulsion. It is an addiction, and the brain's response to pornography and all things of sexual nature is the same as with heroin, crack, cocaine, and all those other hardline drugs that are out there in the mainstream. That the brain doesn't know the difference, but we still have to seek more and more and more to get that same dopamine reaction. Which is the reason why people overdose. So like it's the exact same response and that it really is something addictive. And I really appreciate the fact that you extended it beyond just pornography, that it's all sense of a sexual nature. If you look at the whole hashtag me too movement, it's about men who I guarantee, as you've described, have had this stuff in the background behind closed doors. And that was no longer enough, and they had to take it to the next level to get the same high they did back on day one.
2: Absolutely. And and at one point I do want to make, Cameron, I mean, you raised some excellent points. I do want to talk about the idea that I, I want to shy away from the term addiction, okay? And there's some, there's some scientific evidence, and I talk about it in chapter three, that the better term is compulsion. And why is that? The reason is, in a nutshell, when people hear the term addiction, they hear once hooked, always hooked. And we have to say about this, even though a lot of a lot of people, and perhaps some of the people who are listening to this podcast right now, may think I'm never going to be free from this. And I'm here to say that's not the fact. This is a serious issue. It is something that definitely has to be dealt with. But the healing, of hope, and uh, and and living a, a life that we're called to is very possible. So that's why compulsion is a much more, um, I think, proactive term that we should be using.
1: Well, I think Daxi. I'm glad that you mentioned that because it actually brings it to my next question. Is much of the industry, you know, I know Matt Frad talks a lot about it being an addiction, and even Christopher West, Damon Owens, a lot of those TOB guys that have been there for a very long time, they all reference it as an addiction. What makes your approach and your way different from what's already out there?
2: Sure. And, and a lot of that is um, with the, the approach of wanting to heal this. Is that what you're, you're meaning here? Yeah. Sure. So what we want to say is obviously to break the issue of pornography down to three problems, okay? Three main problems. Number one being a a chemical compulsion issue, all the different chemicals that we talked about. And there's a stark difference. The same chemicals are stirred up in the brain during uh, viewing of pornography as they are in marriage, but to a very different result whereas in, in marriage there's joy there's 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 even healing the term, marvin gay hit it right with talking about sexual healing if we take it up, to the, 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 the
0: do we have to go there steve
2: um oh, I'll go pull out here tonight so um, so uh, the um, yes I'll be here all night ladies and gentlemen make sure to tip your waitress so The issue of it is there there certainly can be healing in the appropriate sense that, whereas pornography does anything but heal. It steals our joy. And I think this is where so much shame and guilt is there and why this is the 9,000-pound elephant in the room that we're just not talking about because we're scared to death that people knew this. They're going to reject me. Hmm. Um, so we've got to deal with even just knowing about the chemicals and knowing what's going on here, like the organization, secular organization, fight the new drug, highly recommend a lot of their, their work they're doing by, by exposing the truth that this is a chemical problem on even a worse problem than the issue of cigarettes. So that would be the first thing, because just having the information opens the eyes to realize, okay, maybe there's an issue with this. Maybe I do have an issue with this and maybe I need to do something about it. Second is going to be that of an intimacy issue, okay? We are looking for something genuine in in pornified images, in those videos. We're looking for relationship. We're looking for connectivity. We're ultimately looking for union, and ultimately, if we push through, we're looking for God, okay? And so from this, though, we choose false intimacy over true intimacy. And for a vast majority uh, majority of us, it's because we have no clue what true intimacy is supposed to be what it looks like and how do we even attain it if it's even possible and so from this there's a a large discussion in the vehicle i like to say the delivery mechanism if there's a a disease here okay the disease is is pornography well the delivery mechanism for getting us the antidote is going to be the, St. John Paul the Great's Theology of the Body. And what is that? In a nutshell, it's a series of catechesis that John Paul gave when he was Pope between 1979 and 1984, um, going through, first and foremost, an anthropology, an, an, what's called an adequate anthropology of what it means to be human. And so many of us have no idea why we are on the planet in the first place. But, and it's stemming from we don't know who our, what our identity is in a very quick nutshell, because we're being, we've been programmed because apparently religion is the problem. God is the problem to the secular world. So we got to get rid of that. And if we take that mentality, this is the outcome of it. You know, I didn't come from anywhere. Um, I I, I don't know where I came from. So I I didn't come from anywhere. And when I die, my body's just going to rot. So I'm not going anywhere. And if you don't know where you came from or where you're going, where are you? You're lost. And this is where our world is right now. We are deeply, deeply lost in search of our first and foremost of ourself. We have Mm -hmm. to come to discover the glory of who we really are. And if we really have the lens to see this, which I argue theology of the body gives us these lenses, we would have a tendency to want to genuflect in front of others. Because the Mm -hmm. glory of who we are created as male and female and not having this identity we're gonna discover a whole lot of little pleasures that happen in this world, but without the appropriate context, those, those pleasures become meaningless. And this is especially what I talk about in chapter four in my book, that we are, we are facing a culture where we are undefining everything, and specifically five areas. One we are of undefining love, sex, marriage, family, and the body. All these things can mean anything, If there is an essential meaning and we put something else in there or a bunch of some other definitions that we want to throw in there, those become meaningless. And to live a meaningless life or seemingly meaningless life is to cause us to lose hope. But I want to say there is great hope. And we must come to rediscover what this is starting with a discussion on what is the body? Who is the body? What is this all about? And it points to the greatness of who we are and the greatness of who God is, and if we believe in the incarnation, if we believe in Christmas, then we must see the importance of the body. The problem is not that we take the body too seriously; is that we don't take it serious enough. And it's from there that we are going to discover the intimacy that we're looking here. So, and this this is a, this has been a crucial factor of beginning to heal the heart for a lot of people, and that's where so many of the wounds are. That's where so much of the father wound is. The third problem. And this is something that's not, uh, very few people are actually talking about this. And the issue is that pornography is a vision problem. And what does this mean? It means that pornography is making us blind. Blind to who we are as human beings. Blind to about the body. Blind to about what our great destiny is. And from this approach, I'd like to use a story. And the story is this. There was a nine-year-old boy, and I talk about this in my book, and this is a true story. Nine-year-old boy, he was at the park with his, with his, um, his family, and they were on a picnic. And he came along, as he's know, playing off by himself, he came along a quote-unquote gentleman's club. There's nothing gentlemanly about those clubs at all. Yeah. But it was, it was two, two topless women in the, in the image. He immediately drops the image, goes to his sister, his older sister, and says, I found a yucky picture. She says, go, go tell your older brother. Older brother says, okay, he goes to his older brother. Older brother says, show me. it." Older brother, he does it. Older brother takes it and immediately rips it up, throws it in the garbage, and says, you don't need to look at that. Two questions from this. Number one is, how did the younger brother go and immediately tell her, his older sister and then his older brother? That's number one. And two, how did the older brother immediately go and just rip that image up. Because if we think about it, right, Brandon or Cameron or myself, anybody who's had any issue with pornography, if we found those images, what's the tendency for a lot of people to do with those images?
0: Well, just to to stay there looking at it. Um,
2: Okay. to do uh, Taking pleasure in it. Yeah. Uh Sure. But even more, I'm going to fold it up, put it in my pocket, and I'm taking Mm. it home, and I better not let anybody see this. This is my buried treasure. Hmm. And so this hidden thing that's happening here and why is this it's because uh, for a vast, uh, the, the reason was in this family, they had a lived real experience of being able to see the body as the body really is because there's a notion in our world right now and especially we see a ton of this within the elements and pockets of even the Catholic church. There's a whole lot of shame and suspicion, and that shame and suspicion is directed towards the body. And there's an underlying notion, the body is bad, that sexuality is bad, sexual desire is bad, and nakedness is bad, because we equate those with lust. And there has to be a break from those, because we can only go so far with coping mechanisms before they don't actually solve the problem. Anybody who's been involved with Sexaholics Anonymous or doing accountability for years or, or um, doing, uh, going to confession year after year after year, given, you know, potential, you know, quote unquote good advice, if we don't actually get to the root, which is a change of heart, which is going to come through a change of our vision, we're not going to actually be set free permanently. And that's the proposal here of saying that there is a solution here. Maybe if it's the solution, then praise Jesus, okay? It's a solution here for breaking this attraction permanently, but also setting us on a path in the church to heal a whole lot of wounds and unleash what's called a culture of beauty, It is beauty that will save the world, as Dostoevsky has said and seconded by Hans Urs von Balthasar, a very famous Catholic theologian in the church. We need beauty more than ever, and it is pornography that has, has circumvented and has taken this over. And the reason why? Because we as Catholics have, by and large... Forgone our rightful heir as patrons to the arts, we must reclaim our rightful place because nature abhors a vacuum. And if there's not genuine beauty, then something else is going to get in there. And old hairy legs, the evil one, is going to want to get in there and confuse us. So we have been bred and born into a world that makes us think pornography is beautiful and it's anything but it. And there's a way out.
0: I find this really fascinating, Steve, um, how you how you tie that that into the arts um, and, and and one's concept of or perception of beauty. And it's amazing how how pornography one thing, one thing that we think is private, like you said, that that is that we hold near and dear, yet it affects so many people in society, because whether whether it's not it's not that we're looking at it in. Publicly, but through our actions, through our words, through the way we interact, and and I think in many ways, pornography affects the way we interact socially with people, not just simply by looking at them as sexual objects for gratification, but the way we interact because of the way pornography has affected those those um, those pathways in the brain, like you've said, uh, chemically.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. No, and and this you're seeing the vast. Um, that's interplay and in, in what this does to us so certainly something must be done for this and I think this is an important point to be made to made to go back to talking about beauty no one looks at a sunset and says no more for me no uh, you can turn that off now no we're, mm. we're, we're absolutely we're actually captivated by it and there's as I said there's a glimmer of beauty within pornography nothing mm. there's nothing like the evil one can't take he has nothing to create with he can only take god's masterpiece and right. try to so there's a there's something beautiful there, right? We are we are attracted to the body. Attraction is good, but it's a matter of how are we being attracted? How are we seeing those persons? How are those persons being displayed? I make it very very clear that we should never ever ever look at pornography. But what do we do in the digital world we're in? Mm. What do we do with that, right? You you have you can put a filter on your computer, but what if you get to a friend's house and you're using their computer, or you go to the library and they have it. Or even you're just walking down the street and our advertising is pornographic, or you see a movie, you're just in a movie, and they obviously have to throw this into movies now because that's the way you get people's attention. What do you do about it? If we haven't had our hearts transformed and our vision redeemed, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to see that person precisely as a person.
0: So, so let me ask you, see, so what do we do? I mean, in, in terms of a solution to this, I mean, I know that there are, as you mentioned, there are, there's software out there, like I think, was it called Covenant Eyes and maybe a, a ton of, of other ones. But it seems as though the, the industry itself perhaps um, has, because, I mean, a child can get on a computer and even without even looking for anything like that or have any notion of pornography is, is fed some kind of image. That is sexually um, enticing or or insinuates something um, sexually, and even without even looking at it. So, and and it also seems as though maybe the 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 porn industry has even gotten a little bit sneaky in how maybe they name their websites, perhaps, or uh, in in order to kind because they know that these softwares are out there. So, I mean, are there any softwares or anything that's like? I mean, ironclad that you would recommend or any other solutions?
2: Okay. So first and foremost, again, there could be a place in time for softwares. Okay. I don't Mm. recommend, I wouldn't recommend blocking softwares necessarily because a lot of people who are involved in pornography are very intelligent. They can find a way around it. Right. Also doesn't help to facilitate what we're looking for. First and foremost is relationship. Okay. If, if you had to have a software, I would recommend something like Covenant Eyes because there's accountability that does happen there. But, uh, but I do have a warning for those out there. If you think that Covenant Eyes or any accountability software is going to solve the problem, then you are radically mistaken. Because I know very intimately about using accountability software. Didn't solve the problem. Actually created a downward spiral because it came to a point, well, I don't care what they're saying. I'm going to go into it anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have to get to a point where we actually change the desire. So, how do we do that? Well, it comes precisely through first and foremost the acknowledgement of the body. The bo- We have to because there's this inherent notion, again, going back that w- this fear of the body, and whether it's being prudishness or just whatever uh, kind of lack of formation that we receive growing up, there's been inher- inherent fear of if I see the body, then uh, you know something's wrong with me okay, Um, in in many, many places. So first and foremost, you know, if if there are any fathers or mothers listening to this, one of the things I would, I do recommend is being natural about, uh, and appropriately so what I mean by that terminology, in in your home. So for instance, right, when we're we're using the bathroom necessarily, right, um, we don't freak out if somebody, if a little kid opens the door, Right. They're just maybe a normal, normal thing. They're just kind of walking in there. Maybe we need to teach them about, you know, with, with, uh, you know, people outside of the home, outside of family and things like that. But there's this, is isn't this yelling at them, get out of the bathroom because that message sends that there's something, something bad about what's going on, in there, which mm-hmm. creates this realm of mystery. Same thing would be about, you know, we're getting out of the shower. Our little ones come in. Okay. Instead of, instead of yelling at them, Oh my gosh, we're covering up, being freaked out. Say, how are you? What's going on? How can I help you? All through those things. So it becomes a normal lived experience in the home, okay? Mm. The, other, the other thing that we as Catholics have that our uh, evangelical and Protestant brothers and sisters do not is a plethora of sacred art, especially art in which the body is exposed appropriately. Remember, we are called. We are given vision. Our eyes are good. We are called to see. We're never called to see with lust, but we're called to see with love. So, especially as we part of the the formation and what we're doing is an education into beauty. What is beauty? What are the counterfeits of beauty? And to save us time, just look at chapter ten of my book, going deeply into there is uh, there is an authentic way. To discern what is beauty, there's definitions of beauty, especially working through St. Thomas Aquinas' work on beauty, and to be able to juxtapose that with what is presented in pornography. There are telltale signs, very, very um, explicit, um, no pun intended, telltale signs Mm. that pornography is not beauty. But if we've never been trained in that, we're going to fall for it pretty much every time. So knowing what beauty is and how to actually articulate beauty and see beauty is going to be the first step there. Then second is also being programmed in beauty. So going back to the church's wealth of images. Go back to the work of Michelangelo. When Michelangelo is painting the Sistine Chapel, never was that considered to be pornographic. And many other right. artists, in fact, some of the classical nudes, and these are secular nudes, the, the birth of Venus, that was never considered pornography. And if, in truth, it is not. And it's the way in which it is perceived and also revealing the principles of beauty. And one of the elements that we have in beauty in the church is that of Maria Lactanes. This is Mary breastfeeding Jesus openly. And as we look at the, as we look at these images... They are they are countercultural to what our world perceives because in our world today, especially guys, let's be very frank here. We have been born and bred in a world that breasts are men's playthings. Yes or yes?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I mean, what what are they for? I mean, because I ask this in audiences all the time. Number one, are breasts beautiful, gentlemen?
0: Sure. Absolutely.
2: Sure. Yes. <laughs> good. Okay. Because if you don't think they are, then you need a doctor. Okay, you don't need a priest. You need a doctor to get your head examined. Yes, they are beautiful, but then secondarily, what else are they?
1: Well, they're for they're a means by which to feed our children.
2: Right, right. They're right. functional. They have the same. So this is this. This is what must happen. And this is this is where you got to have this whole mind shift shift set uh, mind shift change that happens through our vision. That at the same time as seeing them as beautiful. We see them as functional, and that breaks us out to the whole person, the whole woman. This is where a lot of the misogyny comes in because we just take these women, we put them up on, on um, mantelpieces, and we don't accept their great gifts and worth of what they have to give to the world. And this is a great mistake. So if I, I would call myself a, a, a radical feminist in the sense of what radical means, getting to the root of femininity, okay? So within this whole thing, because the, the ideas of quote-unquote radical feminism from our world Is anything but genuine appreciation, upholding dignity of women. So here's the deal: using these images of Mary breastfeeding is going to be crucially important. One of the crucial aspects of helping to heal these wounds, because when we are, because remember the two things: when we've got uh, the neural pathways in our brain and the mirror and the neural mirror, the neural, uh, the mirror, uh, neural mirroring. Okay, that's going on? When we are programmed by beauty and we're soaking in beauty and using these for prayer and contemplation this is where our Eastern brothers and sisters, I, I'm, I'm of the Byzantine persuasion and the Byzantine rite is what our family, we practice. And from this, we love our images. We love to use these not as worshiping themselves, but entering us into the mystery, the deeper mystery of God here. And what is the most profound mystery? It's that God became, became a little baby boy, took on human flesh and fed from a woman, Mm. the woman. And it is this woman that I say to all men, you need to learn how to love her before you can love all women. And let me push it even further. You need to learn how to see her for who she is in order so you can see all women. And it's through seeing that we can learn how to actually love. And it's love that will change our hearts and change the world.
1: Mm, I really appreciate you mentioned getting to the root of the issue, right? And it's really coming back to understanding what beauty actually is. And if, even if we go back to the book of Genesis, you know, God says we're made in his image and likeness, right? And if the body wasn't beautiful, if our masculinity and femininity, what makes us human, wasn't beautiful, the devil wouldn't take the chance to try to distort it for his own good, right? So it's, And I think you also mentioned earlier that we've lost this, idea of what beautiful art actually is, even aside from those referencing the body, but even in music and in scripture and in writing, there's just so much beauty in the world that in this instant gratification culture that we live in, we miss it for that quick reaction that we get from so much other things. 100%
2: 100% agree with you on that, and I think another another point to drive from why we are so blind. And cutting, uh, quoting one of the earlier Supreme Court justices, um, I think his name is Potter, and I talk about this in the book, is that um, you know he says, "When I, I know pornography, when I see it." Well, if we've been programmed in the pornified vision, which is everywhere our movies, television, not just the stuff on the internet, everywhere, then we're not going to be able to tell the difference. I mean, G-rated movies have have a sexual innuendo in them. Our kids are growing up, born and bred in this. And so we've got to reclaim what beauty is. And when we are trained in this and it becomes a part of us and we long for it, here's the great takeaway. We become inoculated to pornography. Okay? I'm able to, I'm in the presence of pornography. We don't seek it out. But again, these images pop up. We see them. And I no longer desire it because I desire what is, I've been formed in what is true, good, and beautiful. This is where that ugliness comes in. That's where that nine-year-old boy was like, this is a yucky picture, can immediately tell the difference. And, we, and instead of moved to this ravenous lust, instead we're moved to sadness. Oh my God, this great person in front of me has been degraded. I want to pray for them and I want to love them for who they are.
0: Hmm. Not what they are. Yeah. So let me ask you, Steve, I mean, I, in regards to to art, because I'm, I'm very much into sacred art, um, you know, you're obviously I'm obviously, you know, you're not uh, telling everyone to run out now and just go go get a painting of, of uh, you know, the David or anything like that and put it in their house. But to have a proper understanding. So what I mean, how would you uh, what kind of recommendation or suggestions would you give to a parent? You know, because here in the Diocese of Saint Augustine, where we are, uh, we have a very strong devotion here to Our Lady of La Leche, which I'm really glad that you, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, you know Maria Maria Lattens, um, Lactens, um, and um, you know the bishop is has has a great devotion to to her. And what's really funny um, that I find and in, in, in as we're we've been going through this conversation is that if you actually go back to the original statue. Of Our Lady of La Leche, you see, uh, you see Our Lady, and her, her, one of her breasts is actually fully exposed. And the child is almost leaning back, almost as though the child is like drunk, you know, uh, from feeding. Um, and, um, uh, and then as the years go on, as new statues were actually created after certain ones had maybe had been destroyed because of fires and whatnot, um, You actually start to see the evolution of how, you know, Mary's, Mary's bare chest actually starts to slowly get covered up by the head of the child, Jesus. Um, And so you can kind of see the evolution of, of the thought and sort of the loss of what you're talking about, the truth, the the vision of what, uh, and really ultimately how God created Man's body and how God created man to see uh, the the other. You know, from the very beginning, from from the time before the fall, you know how how God created Adam and, and and created Eve to see one another, and how it was the one of the first things that they that they noticed about one another immediately after the fall was they noticed they were naked and they um, felt um, no shame. Right, right. Initially. Right, but then and after the fact,
2: initially, right, Certainly. right, and and this is and obviously, you know, we're dealing with this is a, we're dealing with delicate issues here, okay, um, you know, you, you kind of made a light of it, you know, don't run out and get a, a picture of David or or Sistine Chapel, and I might say, why not, right?
0: So then, how do you explain this to your kids? I mean, I guess because this is where I'm struggling with.
2: Sure, yeah, and and I think all parents are because, and I think first and foremost, we have to wrestle with our own demons. What right. is our own view of the body? Because most of us, our experience of the body has been one through the lens of lust. We've eaten the forbidden, or tasted the forbidden fruit, or maybe we've swallowed the whole whole kumquat wholesale, right? <laughs> and 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 so uh, inadvertently, many of us we affirm the pornified culture by denying the body. And 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 there's because there's a very because when we when we think of this unveiling of the body and seeing it appropriately. We I mean, they get a very a little bit nervous, and I have to ask, why? Who told you that you were naked? Right? Remember, God mm-hmm. asked that in the garden. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't God. God didn't tell them that. They just were. It was the their their flesh was the accepted means of this. And there's a careful careful balance here. So you know, there's something to be said for getting sacred art into our home. We have it over our um. I don't have a man. I guess it's our mantle place. Uh, shall we say it's a book a bookcase. We have the the creation of Adam. Adam's all in all his glory, right, <laughs> right as God's about to go and create his life. And I have two daughters here, and they, they haven't thought much about it, but it, it's around them. And then there's another image of the Sistine Chapel here. And I want them there. And as they grow, right, there's appropriate catechesis that has to be here to show them what is the glory of the human body. Why did God create us male and female? And this is, a, this is a very important aspect, especially in the world we live in, where we have the blurring of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. There's profound implications here. And a lot of it comes from, it, it, that is foster that, has been body shaming, this fear yeah. of the body. And so I, for, for parents, I would say, get this sacred art into the home. Learn how to do this. The demons, they, the things that we wrestle with in our heart, don't be afraid of them. Bring them to prayer, bring them to God, and, and, and have Him talk to them about that. Bring this out. And then, in the midst of those ordinary, normal uh, family times, bathroom, shower time, you know, things like that, um, where you're getting out, and it's, it's a normal part. Your kids come in, there's like, uh, have those normal interactions there that go on. And in the beginning, it may not feel normal, but, but what we're saying is, what is the way in which it's accepted? If we were born naked in that, you know, we were born naked in there, then there's something, there's something good about that. And we have to go and teach our children that seeing appropriately the body is a good thing. Because the more and more we raise them up in an appropriate, healthy setting of understanding, they're going to have a much better chance of acceptance of their own body and through a whole dialogue, and, and one of the, the heart we got to make this very clear, the heart and root of theology of the body is is Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He came to reveal God the Father and reveal that, that God is gift, and that our life is meant to be gift. And so when we have this notion of giftedness, being taught that we are gift, then when those feelings become eroticized, then we're able to have a healthy conversation, what is our sexuality for? What is our body for? What is nakedness really all about? And this becomes a normal, healthy conversation. And if we've been doing this uh, you know, you know, age, appropriate, age appropriately, right? right and and right. this is where sermon of grace that God has given to us. And the church give, has given us lots of language to begin talking about this. When those conversations inevitably need to take place of, of our desires, you know, to, of the opposite sex, We're going to have a means to talk. It's not going to be something that's foreign or that we just do one conversation. We don't talk about it again. No, it's something, a natural uncomfortable thing here. So to some parents, they may need to get over themselves and they may need to just, we we have to go and wrestle with those things in us and seek our own healings that happen here.
0: Hmm. So now, Steve, do you have, uh, do you have any resources for the parents that may be listening? um, Like what, what are some resources maybe that you and Valerie use uh, for educating your children?
2: First and foremost, obviously, this would be for them. First, pick up a copy of my book. <laughs> Start sure. working your way through this because um, we've got to know, know what is out there. There's a lot facing our children. I mean, and and I and chapter 12 of the book is very practical. We do talk about technology. We, uh, we don't recommend just handing them a, 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 a smartphone and go have at it. No, there is education there. And if we don't have an appropriate way to address those things and they haven't been taught in, in beauty, well, then – we got, we got to really work through this. Okay. Um, so those are some of the things I would add in, in, in a parent's own time, just type in, um, sacred art into Google. There are beautiful images or even Mary breastfeeding Jesus. I'm, um, there's tons of images that we're able to pull up and be able to use there, um, for our own prayer and then bring this into the home. Is Hmm. it, do you follow me on this? Yeah. Yeah. Because when, and, and, and then also take them to the art museum. They're going to hate you. I know. Go do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is boring. Well, it's time to be really bored because guess what happens in boredom? You get contemplation, then you get hmm. the genuine truth about imagination, and we're able to go and be creative. And the other aspect I would say that's, that's really lacking is we have become very much adept with technology. And obviously, as I said, technology is the good. But if we're spending more time online than offline for most of the time, then we've got a problem. And so, one of the ways that, it, that God has given us that's naturally beautiful is nature get outside go see the world go interact with nature go for a walk go to the park go camping go do those things they're going to help to communicate as a family but also out in nature that god has given to us because yes men and women are beautiful but there's tons of other beauties in the world that we need to see wow
1: yeah. i think it's really uh, i'm listening to you say that over and over again it It does kind of remind me of the fact that if what society is going to bombard us with is the lie, then we have to go and seek the truth and share that. And if it comes down to a situation where you've got what society says is beautiful, but then you juxtapose it right next to true beauty, then the truth and the healing and the choice happens for realizing that this is what we were made for not what society says is beautiful
2: yeah and i just one story of that in my sixth grade okay and anybody who's an older generation would remember this the scrambled cable and trying to look between scrambled images um, and, yep. It, yep. and okay, you guys <laughs> know what I'm about talking that. about right and, and if you yep. listen to this you have no idea go ask your parents so um, <laughs> within which is so sad to, me to say that um, but within, we'll edit that part out <laughs> Well, within this, you know, we've been, look, a, friend, a, a friend of mine, we've been looking at this weird middle school, came downstairs the next morning. What's his mom doing on the, on the, uh, on the couch? She's breastfeeding her, uh, his younger brother. And I got all freaked out. Oh my gosh, what's going on here? Well, I, God is trying to show me something. There's something beautiful going on here. What with the false images of beauty that I've been so hungering for? The truth is right there. And it's not to say that I'd go gawk at her or anything like that, but what should it, what it should be a normal and natural experience of life? Oh, she's feeding her child. Praise God. Wonderful. Anybody want a sandwich? Right. It doesn't, it's not this weird. I'm sorry. I don't want to take, make light of it, but it's not yeah. this weird <laughs> out of control thing. Because in our world today, any woman who breastfeeds is often shamed who, who shames like you better cover up. And we see this in our, in our Catholic churches now right? Women don't breastfeed openly, but we know throughout the history of the church, covering up breastfeeding is relatively new. And it's not to say that a woman goes and and just shows off. No, not at all. Because a woman's body is for dignity and it's for herself first and foremost, then to give life to the world secondly. Um, And in this, a woman just being who she is has the ability to change the world. And if you're a mother, listen to this, or you know a mother, guess what? If you're born, you have a mother talking about this and bring out this idea of to openly breastfeed appropriately. So, um, can be one of the most healing things out there to show the world. This is what a woman is about. A woman is about life giving, that she's not a plaything for any man, that she has a dignity and a worth that is beyond description. And in coming to see, even seeing this can be a moment of a confronting with the truth anybody's having a trouble seeing, but also be an encounter with the divine because Jesus came as a little child, came and breastfed. And if Mary's breasts were good enough for Jesus, then from this, breastfeeding our own children can be very good. And learning how to see appropriately, this can be a radical way in which we get to the root of this. So
0: let me ask you, Steve. I mean, for someone who, let's say, is not let's at at the level of their... Of their Catholic life, you know, at, at the let's see, their the, babies, they're babies in the, the faith, yeah, babies in yeah, the, the faith, you face. know, and everything that we've just been talking about tonight, you know, maybe for a lot of you know well, well reared Catholics, well learned Catholics, this may make sense, but for somebody out there right now who's really really struggling with pornography, who has nowhere to turn, they are, let's say, they happen to be Catholic. And at the same time, even though they have all the tools and the resources right at their fingertips, but they feel like they need help, like, that's the first thing people say, well, I either I need help when they finally realize that they have a problem. Where do they turn? I mean, obviously, going to a priest, I mean, because how many times can you, like you said at the beginning, like, we go to confession, but are we really ultimately sorry for for, for those sins, like? And, and are there other alternatives to just having a pre, going to see a priest and going to confession? Obviously, we want to get the confession because we want to wash the mortal sin away from our, from our souls. We want uh, to enter back into the state of grace. But what are some other, what are some alternative sources out there? And I know that you, um, you head up a ministry as well, uh, which we ta- I talked about mentioned at the beginning. But you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I will absolutely. And, I, I, and going back to one of the comments you made there, you know, we genuinely may be sorry going to confession. But again, we're dealing with chemicals in the brain that are too powerful for just rational thought, for just mere advice. And and, and a sad reality is a lot of priests don't know how to actually solve the problem here. Right? I, I mean, if you think through a, a lot of the, the confessions that a lot of people go to, I can speak from my own experience and talking to tons and tons of guys, what's the advice or penance given by a lot of priests? It's that of you know, go pray on our father and three Hail Marys. Right. Great. Great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and let me be very clear here. It is only through grace, a gift of God, that we will be set free. Okay. It's nothing that we do, but instead letting it be done unto us. And we've mm. got to confront the fear that we have. I would absolutely recommend you check a, take a look at my website, freedom-coaching.net. I've been doing this work since, um, since February of, uh, of 2011. And from this... Here, we walk through that whole process of learning to go through those three aspects that is a very personalized work, but also creating a game plan. How do we address this? Because we may need, in the beginning of this work, coping mechanisms. But again, coping mechanisms in themselves aren't going to solve the problem. So if we don't learn how to see the body, well, then we're not going to get to the root of this. So I would I would recommend checking out and taking a look at that Um and then I would also, also from this, I mean, a big aspect, and, and chapter 12 talks a lot about this, um, is is establishing brotherhood, okay? Establishing, because a lot of those who are involved in pornography feel cut off. They don't have intimacy. They're looking, they, they, they don't know where to go and be fulfilled in their intimacy. And a lot of us, because of the way in which we've been raised, don't, and the world we're living in, don't know how to form genuine friendships with others. Real friendships where we can, you know, bear our hearts and bear our souls to each other to be able to um, to be able to talk about these real issues. And this again is again that proverbial nine thousand um, pound elephant in the room. So I, I, the first step would be we got to admit that there's an issue here. We've got to do something about it.
0: Wow, mm. wow, well, well I um, I know we can probably go on and on about uh, this topic. And Steve, you are just an absolute wealth uh, of information. Um, And I really, really, we really, really appreciate you um uh, coming on the show today to talk to us about this. And this is uh, I think this is a conversation we can continue, perhaps maybe even another episode um, and maybe even talk a little bit more about further, even further about the work that you do um, with Freedom Coaching. But in regards to the book, and I know we've mentioned it uh, and you've gone, you know, you've discussed some of the chapters uh, this evening. Where can people get the book um, if they wanted to go now and get and, uh, and pick it up?
2: Sure. I'm actually going to throw out a special deal to those who are listening to this. Um, one is you can go to Amazon. You can obviously purchase there. Um, if you'd like an autograph copy, um, shoot uh, Brandon or Cameron a message. Let him know you want it uh, and send their, your information, uh, number, uh, number, you know, your email number, address, obviously your name, uh, send them 20 bucks and then that'll get over to me and I will send you out a, uh, an autograph copy.
0: Awesome. And I've got mine right here, signed, signed with a personal message from the author himself. So, by um, I should have been a man. doctor
2: rather than a writer.
0: <laughs> I have to say, Steve, I, that's, I, I wasn't going to mention it until just now, but yeah, <laughs> but I appreciate the message. Um No, and so, and what's the, uh, again, I know Freedom Coaching, what's the uh, URL to your site again?
2: You're sure, freedom-coaching.net.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and people can reach you directly through the site and the, do you have a phone number or do you prefer just reaching, uh, through the website?
2: Yeah, they can just shoot me an email through that and it'll, it'll get right to me.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, Cameron, you got any other questions for Steve before we, uh, probably sign off here?
1: Nope. I just want to say that my checks in the mail to get my own copy of the book because I don't have one and I kind of feel bad that I don't, but, uh, uh again, thank you. you. Uh, the, what you have shared has been amazing uh, for someone that has done a lot of research on addictions and pornography it is quite interesting to hear a fresh perspective like so like a lot of the psychology books that are out there very much talk about it as an addiction and to hear it from a compulsive perspective really kind of changes the game a bit so i'm really actually excited to read your book and dive more into that side of it
2: praise god and if i can say one thing before we do sign off and to yeah. anybody who listens to yeah. this podcast tonight i want to assure you that there's hope that there is genuine healing that the Um, The chains that you may be feeling, feeling like this will never be off my throat, those can be let go. Um, There is genuine healing and and hope for this whole process. And if you will take up what is Christ's promise, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you will pursue that to where it is, to be able to learn to see as Christ sees, you will find the freedom, lasting freedom that you're looking for
0: amen amen steve again thanks a lot and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to our first episode on season two and uh, we look forward to uh, having you with us once again if you want to get a copy of steve's book please uh, send us a message through our facebook page or twitter uh, or even you can email us at the furrow podcast at gmail.com thanks again for tuning in we'll see you next time